So we're, we're really about halfway in a series on relationships. And, and although often we talk about relationships in terms of our relationship with God, today we're going to get very human, very personal. Um, we're using this lovely book called Conscious Loving uh, by Gay and Kathleen uh, Hendricks. I'm losing their name all of a sudden in my mind. And what I think is interesting about this book is the first half of it really is getting us ready for a relationship. Do you know what I mean? We started right off by talking about what are our intentions around any relationship. The idea being, you know, if we just enter into a relationship without having any focus, without having any of our own stated desires from it, well, what's going to happen is we're going to bring right along with us every relationship we've ever had, whether it be good, whether it be bad, whether it be tragic, whatever it was that went before, it'll just follow us right into that relationship unless we have some fairly clear intentions for it. And what I love about this book, it said, if that's all you do, if all you did, if the only change you ever made was simply to have specific and identifiable intentions for entering into a relationship, Oh my gosh, the difference that that alone would make. And it's something you can do totally by yourself. We think of relationships as being something with other people, and of course they are, but even if it's only the clarity of our own thoughts around what we want, that alone will attract to us better relationships. Okay, then the last couple weeks, Reverend Sharon and I have done kind of a, I think it was sort of a fun job of explaining kind of how relationships can go wrong. <laughs> some of, no, really, some of our shadow selves that creep into relationships, some of those relationships that we observed when we were small children and simply got the idea, oh, well, then that constant bickering must be what a relationship is about. And we've managed to bring those along with us in the meantime. Now today we're going to actually embark then, it's like the stage is right, we've been prepped and we're ready, and we're going to do the C word. We're going to talk about actual commitments today. But in this chapter in the book, even here, it says, oh, by the way, (laughs) there are two things that you want to be aware of, two things that kind of need to be in place, two things that are the bedrock of every good relationship. And so we're going to briefly talk about those first. And the first one is simply this, in order In order to really love someone else, you have to love yourself first. Okay, now that's kind of, you know, age-old wisdom, right? But let me read to you what the Hendricks say about this, the importance of it. They say, in the realm of love, a paradox exists. You can effectively love others only, only when you love yourself. If you cannot love yourself, you will try to fill the void of your own lack with others. You will tend to demand, demand from others what you cannot give yourself. This demand places an unfair burden on those around you. It makes you into a bottomless pit of need. And I bet nearly everyone here has maybe been around someone like that, where their self-esteem was so low that you spent all of your time, whether it be friend or a relationship or a mentor, you spent nearly all of your time trying to affirm in them that they were okay. And it really wasn't about an even-footed relationship. It was them with the supreme need of understanding that they were lovable and you doing your best to just fill it up. All right. 
So I happen to know that in this center, most of us have a fairly good helping of self-esteem and self-love already. But I want you to help me kind of underscore this. And, I, and, and I'm going to walk around a little bit. And I, I promise I, I may be inviting you to be on the spot. And if you don't want to say anything, just kind of hold your hand up and I'll move on to someone else. But what I'm going to do is simply ask a question of, of, of maybe a fair number of you in the first, row, f- first few rows what it is you love about yourself the most. And this can be right, just right off the top of your head. So let, let's start with these two lovely ladies. LaRonda, what do you love most about yourself? Well, there's a lot of things, but I love my physical strength. Physical strength. Okay. Um, Cherie, what do you love most about yourself? My, my joyful spirit. Joyful spirit. Are you up, Marcy? What do you love most about yourself? My sense of humor. Okay, sense of humor. <laughs> Sharon, what do you love most about yourself? My willingness. Willingness. Okay. Shauna, do you have? Um, my gentle lovingness. Gentle lovingness. That's beautiful. Anyone else? Anyone else would like to offer something? What about you, Sandra? Oh, my sense of humor and irony as I- well. Irony. Okay. Now, I haven't heard that one. That's sweet. <laughs> Rosemary, do you have something you'd like to share? What do you love about yourself? I keep coming back. You keep coming back. All right. I like that. All right. Well, this is a good sampling, I think. And the reason I wanted to do this is because you can tell people love themselves for really a vast array of reasons. And I want to highlight, if you will, a couple different categories of them. Because if, you, um, if you're kind of listening in a certain way, you will notice that uh, uh, roughly about half of the people love themselves for one kind of segment of reasons over the other. And I want to talk about this for just a minute. So first of all, have you noticed that often people love themselves for how they show up in the world? And a lot of times you'll hear people say, well, I love the way I look. I I think Lorana said, I love how strong I am, the strength I bring to things. Some people will say, I love the way I sing, or I love the way I play the piano. I love how I can support my family. I love my job. I work very hard and I play very hard. You'll hear people talk about, if you will, kind of their circumstances. You know, I love how strong my body is. I love my health. Um, you know, I love my house even. They'll, they'll use an extension of themselves to portray their living environment as well. Um, the other thing you'll hear people talk about is something um, perhaps that's more about who they are instead of how they show up. And you'll hear people talk about, I'm a good listener, I'm a good friend, um, uh, I'm loving and funny. You'll hear them talk about, you might think of more internal characteristics. And the reason I wanted to highlight these two little bit separate categories is for those who really have their self-esteem balled up in how they show up in the world, what happens if they can't show up that way anymore? And I want to use an example, and I think it's really, really very common, either for a mother or a father. Often I will hear someone say, I love the way I can do for my family. And for men, they might say, I love how I can provide for my family in terms of working a lot or something like that. And, and sometimes women say it that way too. Sometimes women say it, I love how I manage to just make sure that my kids are always covered in terms of you know, football practices and music lessons and all that stuff. And what I worry about then is, what happens when the kids move away? Do you know what I mean? 
if we are really closely identifying our own self-worth, our own self-love with something that's on the outside, you know, someone who really self-identifies themselves as a, as a wonderful singer or a really wonderful golfer or something like that, what happens when they get to the point where they're not quite as good at that as they used to be? Does their self-esteem then come down? So I want to just throw this out, and I know the good news is most of us have a variety of reasons that we love ourselves. It's not just focused on one area. We don't say to ourselves, oh, I just love myself because, you know, I'm really good at being the the Mr. Fix-It around the house, for instance. I mean, that might be one of my qualities, but it's not my only one, and that's a very cool thing. But I'd like you to take a look at your own idea of what you love about yourself and make sure that you've got a good balance there. Because if it's tipped a little to the side of, I love myself because of what I can do, or what my physical characteristics are. You know, the classic example of this is someone who's maybe a basketball player, or a a football player, and, and really is quite good, maybe professional at it. Have you ever noticed that there are no 40-year-old basketball players, right? It's like somewhere, and very few 30-year-old ones too, I think. It's as though somewhere along the line, if that's what a basketball player was saying, this is me, this is what I do, this is what I love, oh my word, the day when your contract isn't picked up. Do you know what I mean? The day that the kids move out, the day that a lot of people are wrapped up in terms of coupleship, and I really, I really love me for the way I interact with my partner. What happens after the divorce or after the death, right? Okay, so love yourself and make sure you have a good mix, not only of the ways you show up physically in the world, but also a good mix of loving yourself just for who you are on the inside. I love my sense of humor. I love my, what's the irony? <laughs> I love my sense of communication with others. I, I love the way that I do service in the community. You know, love yourself also for the things that won't change over time for the things that are essentially you, that only you provide in your own unique and beautiful and sweet way. All right, so one more thing before we can start making commitments. I know that it seems like there's always one more thing. Hopefully this is an easy one. So how do we expect to really feel loved in the world if we don't know what we're feeling? And this is a tricky one, and I originally had thought, well, we'll do the microphone on this one, and I would just go up to people and say, all right, Sharon, what are you feeling right now? But then I decided that this might be a little uh, too personally troublesome when people said, well, I'm kind of bored. <laughs> I'm feeling kind of sleepy today. <laughs> so, uh, but you know what's interesting is, I bet that if I went to every person in the room, some people would say things that aren't even feelings. They would say something like, well, I'm feeling like you're expecting me to come up with something really fancy here, and I'm, I'm feeling kind of like I don't know what I want to say. <coughs> right? Even though I used the word feeling twice in that sentence, those weren't feelings, were they? They were thoughts. 
And a lot of us, and, and I suspect, you know, we're having the men's group after, uh, after our service today here, and I would suspect in particular for some of the men in the audience, I know it was true for me, we were pretty carefully counseled as children not to feel anything at all. And, that t- and some of you women may not believe this even, but as a boy, often the idea is, oh, now you're not supposed to be angry, you know, you know, be, you know, be real, be a man here and just suck it up, right? You fell down and you're crying and you're upset and just be done with it. Just move on. And the same was true with uh, a lot of the sort of more touchy-feely feelings that guys have. Pretty much for a lot of kids, that is just shut down by parents and grandparents and people who have an idea of what it is like to be a man. And so, of course, we're going to do our best to tutor a young man into being an older man. And the best way to do that is to be the stoic, strong, hardworking guy that you never know in a million years what they're feeling at all. (laughs) And you know what's really sad is I know a whole lot of women that are that way as well. You know, this isn't just something that pertains to the men. So what I would want you to do, because again, if you can't feel sadness, if you can't really feel hope, if you can't really feel pain, if you can't really feel joy, if you can't really feel anything, how are you going to feel love? And you know, some of the scariest relationships that I've been a witness to in my own life and in the lives of other people, it's because they didn't know whether they really were feeling love for each other or not, because they didn't know what they were feeling. If you'd say, what are you feeling right now? They'd kind of go, um, um, I don't know. Or they would come across with the, well, I'm feeling like, you know, which is almost always a recipe for, this isn't how I'm feeling. All right, so what are real feelings? Real feelings are things like anger. Real feelings are things like sadness. Real feelings are things like joy. And it is absolutely okay, you have the minister's approval, to feel them and feel them well. Now, I know some people this sounds a little scary. Well, what if I get lost in the sadness? What if I really blow up? You don't want me to just rage on, right? Well, no. And yet at the same time, What I know is that feelings are not going to kill us. I've got news for you all. Now and then it might feel that way. It might seem that way. It might seem like something is so sad that you might not really be able to endure it. It might seem like you are so angry that you you would just rather die than feel it. And what I know is you can feel the feeling when it's appropriate Like an adult, you can see if action needs to be taken, and then you can move on to the next feeling, right? A feeling is as transient as a thought. And in fact, they're caused by our thoughts. And as our thoughts change, what I know about each person in this room is that then you can choose another feeling to go with them. We are not at the mercy of our feelings, and... They are wonderful signposts. For most people who are getting in touch with their feelings, they also can sense it in their body. And and I would also like those of you who are, are willing to play along, next time you're actually feeling something and aware of it, see where it is in your body. For me, for instance, fear or trepidation is right here. If, if I get the phone call in the middle of the night and I'm thinking, oh my God, I wonder who it could be that's calling at 2 a.m., 
I feel it right here. Um, anxiousness or worry, for me, it's right here. Uh, if I'm anxious or worried and you see me from behind, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, wow, his shoulders and his ears are connected in some magical way. And you know what? Over the years, this has been a fabulous tool for me because if I lose sight of what I'm feeling, I can do a quick body scan. And if I'm feeling something in the pit of my stomach, I can go, all right, what am I afraid of? What am I worried is going to happen? Or if I notice I'm walking, this is when you can always catch yourself in the mirror. You walk by the mirror and you go, oh my God. <laughs> you know, and then you can just ask yourself, all right, what am I worried about? What feels like an immense weight on me? You know, what do I need to deal with here? And these are really useful feelings. And what I know is when I can have these kinds of feelings, then I can also have a unique and powerful and, in, in, and intimate feeling of love as well. If I don't know what I'm feeling, who knows whether I'm actually going to see love when it comes my way, right? Because it's just as apt to be fear, it's just as apt to be something else, because I'm shut down, I'm blocking it all out, I'm not even understanding what I'm feeling. All right. So these are the two prerequisites that we're going to enter in to an actual honest-to-goodness commitment today. <laughs> All right. Now, I also want to talk just about that word. Now, there are those people, I'm told, that are commitment-phobic. And in fact, I remember, um, I think it was about 18 months ago, I had, uh, you know, we do a new membership class twice a year, and, and I had a young woman that had signed up for one of the new membership classes. And, and usually before the class, I'm, I phone out to make sure, um, you know, you know it's this Sunday, you know, prepare to stay for an extra hour and a half, we're going to have a cute little potluck, you know, you'll have a fun time, you don't have to bring anything. And I didn't even get half of my spiel out, and the young woman said, you know, I've decided I can't take the class. I'm just not willing to make the commitment to the church at this time. And I thought, she doesn't even know what it is yet. <laughs> how often, how often are we commitment shy simply because we don't even know what's expected? And how often in relationships do we ever know what's expected? So for those of you who are either commitment-phobic or for those of you who keep seemingly hooking up with people who are commitment-phobic, do you know what? It could be as simple as describing what the commitment that you're looking forward to is. Because if you don't, what do you think the other person's thinking, right? Even if it's just a simple friendship. Let's say that Sharon and I are, you know, just kind of barely know each other, and one of us is brave enough to think, you know, I kind of like him, or I kind of like her. Maybe we should hang out a little bit together and get to know each other. If we don't say anything about it, we are apt to make the most bizarre assumptions about what's going on here. If Sharon doesn't know me very well, she may not even know I'm gay. She might think, oh, great, here he comes. <laughs> you know, right? How often do we make the most bizarre assumptions about the people we're inviting into our lives, assumptions about what a commitment might mean without even talking about it first? I suspect more often than not. So what I want to invite you to do 
And, and I think this can be done fairly simply. And you can even start with a relationship you've already got that's working really well. Sit down with that friend or that partner or that spouse or uh, that daughter or that son and actually write down what your commitment to each other looks like. And do you know what I mean? Is it a sink or swim commitment? Is it a sunny day commitment? Do you know what the difference between those are, right? It's like, I'm your friend as long as things are going well. That's what I call the sunny day commitment, right? If the sun's out and we're having fun together, then I'm committed to this relationship. But if the weather turns dark, right? If you wake up really depressed one day and call me, well, it's going to go to voicemail, now, this sounds a little cruel, this sounds a little blunt, but clarity around your relationships, even the casual ones, can be really useful. And what I have discovered in my own relationships is if I am clear about what I want, the other person will respond absolutely accordingly. They will be very upfront and they will say things like, wow, I can see you. First of all, normally they say things like, wow, I can see you've really thought this through. <laughs> and usually they appreciate that. And they will simply say, you know, I think I'm interested in something a little more casual than that. Or they might say something like, you know, I totally agree with what your intentions are and your commitments are, but, you know, I just want to be clear that this is just a friendship and we're only talking about you may maybe a few hours a month when we come in contact with each other. Because to a lot of people, if you sit down and actually talk about a relationship, again, they have these ideas of, oh my God, Larry, you know, we're gonna, what? We're going to be joined at the hip? Like, this is important. So, so do yourself the favor of having a little fun with this, but actually sitting down with a friend or a loved one or a family member. And if you will, document what your commitment is. And then you can use this power on someone you don't know very well. And this will make the most amazing difference in your life, I think. Now, in your programs today, I took a sample of one that I just wanted to share with you. And, and it's more by way of using it as something that you could take home and just think about. But what I did in your program today, and it, and, and it looks uh, kind of like this on a half sheet, though, and it has the little heart in the sky there. And I wrote it up as a sacred covenant for my friendship. And so I did the most basic idea of my intentions for what a friendship relationship would be like. And now, as you know, you'll have relationships with family members and, and other more intimate relationships. And so your intentions might be a little different. But here's a sample. Every heart responds to the warmth of love. Every mind yearns for its embrace, and no life is complete without it. Love really is the fulfillment of the law of good. Love alone can heal the world and enable people to live together in unity and peace. Just a, a quote that I loved from Ernest Holmes. The purpose of this covenant is love, and my vision for it is creating and nurturing a healthy, happy, and close friendship. And then I really sat down, although most of these ones came right out of this wonderful book, I loved them and simply changed them a little bit to reflect more of what my personality was like. And here would be where you would actually sit down with your friend, with your partner, with your daughter, with your son, with your father, and actually work through, literally the two of you together, on just a big tablet, what your intentions for making this relationship the best ever 
Here are the ones out of the book that I reworded, reworded a little for my own experience of friendship. To experience closeness and to clear up anything within me that stands in the way. To foster my own complete development as an individual. Because what I know is, if I feel incomplete in myself, no relationship is going to make that better. To reveal myself fully in the relationship and to fully empower the people around me. So both self-empowerment and empowerment to the other people. To act from the awareness that I am 100% the source of my reality, right? I'm not going to blame any of my mis <laughs> misapprehensions. I'm not going to blame any of my feelings on the other person. I'm going to take ownership for them. You know, you might have done a bad thing, but I'm the one that's feeling sad. I created that sadness in me. I created that anger in me, and I'm going to own up to it. And to have a good time in my friendship, right? And here's where you might even want to be creative around what that looks like. What is having a good time with your friend? What is having a good time with your partner or your family member look like? And then finally, to be fully supported and prospered in the expression of these intentions. What I believe is that every relationship worth having elevates both of the people involved. Now, have you ever been in one of the real, those relationships, though, that seemed a little one-sided, where it seems like you give and you give and you figure out, and sometimes it's money, sometimes it's favors, sometimes it's just energy. You keep putting it into the relationship, and it's as though it's going into a black hole. One of these covenants can help you evaluate that as it's going on. Is this really prospering both of us? Is this really supporting both of us? You know, are, are we equals here? All right. So how are we feeling about the C word now? Any better? Is the idea of commitment still a little scary? You know, what you can do even is, so, so now I have to admit, this was a, I mean, I'm the minister, so of course I'm going to come up with a list that sounds like cool and hot. But what I would suggest, or at least in my mind it is, <laughs> but what I would suggest is write one up that represents what you do have agreement on, right? So it might initially be only an agreement between the two of you, intentions between the two of you, how, how you're going to have fun together and maybe how you're going to settle things that come up when there's a difference of opinion. Do you know what, you mean, what I mean? It could be very simple, very straightforward, and yet extremely powerful in your relationship. All right. I think you're all ready for a commitment. I love it. <laughs> well, I'm going to end with one more quote having to do about feelings, because I do think that still, by and large, Americans are kind of taught not to feel, kind of to a little bit um, stuff their feelings, to ignore them. And so I'm going to end with another quote from this book on feelings and then end up with a, with a final closing prayer. So here's what they say about feelings. There is a delicate balance between repressing your feelings and letting them overflow. It is in this zone that psychological health resides. If you shut your feelings out of your awareness, you deaden yourself to love. If you let your feelings spill over inappropriately, not that I've ever done that. <laughs> if you let your feelings spill over inappropriately, you risk so social censure and worse. Yeah, yeah. 
It is now considered necessary to bring our feelings out of the shadows and into the light because hidden feelings have been implicated in nearly every human ill, from headaches to cancer, from heart disease to Alzheimer's. Repressed feelings actually will kill us in the end. So let us feel them. Let's feel love. Let's feel all of it. And let's start with ourselves. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence in this universe. You can call it God, but today I'm calling it love. And it's the same thing. This God, this love, this life, it's moving through and as every person, every place, every situation, every relationship. It is simply God, simply love in action. And what I know about love, what I know about God, is that it is the strongest force on this planet. And as this is general, I know it means me. I know that my life is full of loving relationships. I know that I am capable and interested and aware of my own emotions. And that love springs from within. That the love I experience in my own heart, for my own being, extends outward to embrace this planet and every person that I come in contact with. And as it is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room, that each person here has a life full of unending love, and that each relationship that comes to the way of each person here is filled with love, and that there is an intentionality uh, around it and through it and going into it that allows the people to be completely who they are, that allows the people in this room to show up authentically and to speak their mind, to be full of themselves as love, as well as empowering and enabling the people around them to feel love. And I am simply grateful for this, simply grateful to be here in the presence of God as it takes the form of each person in this room, simply glad to be aware of love and the intentionality with which we put into it. With a lot of love, with a lot of gratitude, I simply let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you very much. Thank you.